still in John chapter 1, and today we're reading verses 35 through to 42. John chapter 1, 35 through to 42. The next day, again, John was standing with the two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. We're going to stop there and we give thanks to God for his word. If you have a Bible, then please do open up in John's gospel, uh, John chapter 1, the verses that we read earlier, 35 through to 42. If you don't have a Bible and uh, you want to be able to follow on, there's, there's some Bibles out in the, in the foyer. You'll see some black ones out there and you can go and grab one if you want to be able to follow along closer yourself. And hopefully you'll see that what we say from the front always aligns with what you see in the pages before you. Because what we're doing when we're preaching, we're opening up God's Word and we're, we're really just working our way through it quite slowly so that we can understand it and think about it together. Let me pray and ask God to help us. Father, we are so thankful that you speak through your Word. We're thankful for what we've already heard through John's Gospel. And this morning we pray you'd help us to hear and help us to keep, help us to understand, to believe, and to receive, so that we might enjoy this life that is on offer. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we headed to Prison Island in Belfast. I don't know if you've been to Prison Island. If you had, well, then you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, then you might not know what I'm talking about. But, well, Prison Island, if you haven't heard of it, it's, it's basically like a a mix between an escape room and some of the challenges that you might have watched on Crystal Maze, okay? And so what happens is you go in, in, in teams of four and you work your way, your way around this uh, prison-like complex and in each cell, there's different challenges. Some of those challenges are team challenges that you need all of your team players to, to play a role to be able to succeed in, 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 in getting through the challenge. Others are mental challenges, puzzles that you have to kind of work out and you've got time to be able to do it. And then some of them are physical challenges. And the physical challenges were the ones that I struggled most with, I'll not lie. And if you were talking to me after I had been there, for the, for the next few days afterwards, I was pretty much guaranteed to have told you about it because it was brilliant. It was so, so good. We went to it, we saw it, and then for about two or three days, we told everybody that we met about it. And that was an advertising dream for Prison Island. I'm sure that's what they're, they're hoping everyone does, okay? And if everyone goes and then speaks to maybe, I don't know, 400 people, then oh, they will be delighted, okay? 
I came, I saw, and then I went and told people all about it. And I think as we come to this morning's passage, that's what we see. We see people come to see Jesus, and once they see Jesus, well, then they go and they tell people all about him. They come and they see, and then they go and they tell. They come and they see, and then they go and they tell. And I think that's a model or a pattern for discipleship, a pattern for discipleship that we're going to see in John's gospel. So jump in with me to the text this morning as we work our way through, starting at verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, if you were here last week, maybe you've got a sense of deja vu, and you think, oh, this is awkward. Jeff's picked up on the same verse that Al did last week, and we're just going to have a rerun of the same sermon, just a different preacher. Well, hold on for a minute, because it's not exactly the case. If you look back at 29, where we did start last week, it actually looks very similar, doesn't it? Very, very similar. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Looks similar, doesn't it? The next day, John sees Jesus, and he exclaims, behold, the Lamb of God. Lots of similarities. So well done if you spotted those. But it's not the same. This is not just a a duplication of the text. And so what we read in in verses 29 through to 34, what we looked at last time, that's what happened on that day. But that's not the day that we're in now, okay? Now we're in the next day. And at this stage in the text, I really want you to see that, okay? There are some key differences. On the previous day, uh, John had saw Jesus coming towards him, and he had said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had pointed to the fact that Jesus was the one who he had been talking about in his ministry up until this point. He witnessed to the fact that he knew who Jesus was due to the fact that the Spirit had descended upon him and remained upon him. That's how Jesus knew, or that's how John knew who Jesus actually was. And just in case there was any confusion, at the end of those verses, John bears witness in a very explicit way. Verse 34, he says, this is the Son of God. So that was the day before the day that we're going to be focusing on today. That was that day, and now we're in the next day. So what's different about the next day? Well, let's pick up on some of those differences. You see, here is John the Baptist, and he is now with two of his disciples, okay? Two of his disciples are are there with him. Presumably, these are disciples of John who have heard him preach the message of repentance. Maybe they've been baptized in the way that John was baptizing people, And then they've joined him. They've stayed with John. They've said, we are with you in this. So these were his disciples. Now, were they there the day before? We don't know. It doesn't tell us in the text. Now, there's a good chance they were. Okay, had they heard about Jesus from the day before? Well, even if they weren't there, I'm guessing that it's quite probable that they would have heard because uh, whenever Jesus comes and, and John points to him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin. I think this is going to be the sort of news that travels. And so I'm pretty sure they will have heard that if they hadn't been there. But here we are, and we have John, and we have his two disciples. And Jesus comes passing by. And we'll pick up on this later, but I want you to notice the kind of details. 
the kind of details that you spot in the text here, the ones that you, you might not spot if you don't really pay attention, but if you pay attention, you just start to see them all over John's gospel. The kind of details that says, John looked at Jesus. That's a very specific kind of detail, isn't it? John looks at Jesus, and that's included. And what does John say as he looks at Jesus? Well, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. We talked about this last week, didn't we? The Lamb of God and how there's this rich tapestry right throughout the Bible pointing to Jesus as the Lamb of God, the one who would be sacrificed as a once-for-all sacrifice. For whom? For his people. For his people. The one who would give himself as a sacrifice in order to deal with the problem of sin. The sin of his people. And so John looks at Jesus and he says once again, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And with that, John says goodbye to two of his own disciples. Do you spot that? Because the message that he has proclaimed was not lost on them. These are two of John's disciples. They've, they've heard him witnessing to Jesus and they understood something of what he'd been preaching. They understood that, that John's job was, was always to point to someone else, someone who was greater than he was. And so whenever John does that, John says, this is him, behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples, they know what to do. Off they go. They're not going to stay with John any longer. No, they are off and they're following Jesus. And it's a pointer once again to the humility of John, isn't it? Because we might be tempted to to build up our own kingdom. We might be tempted to, to gather people around us in our ministry. And yet John is having none of that. John says, lads, off you go. Almost like he's nudging them, saying, behold the Lamb of God, after him, go, go. That's the one that you need to follow. And they hear his testimony. And what do they do? They head off to follow Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I think we can all agree this is probably not how we imagined this would go, okay? Um, here we have a conversation between Jesus and these two men who are following after him. Uh, and Jesus says something to the, uh, the effect of, what do you want? And they say, tell us the address that you're staying. Now, to the reader, this, this kind of seems somewhat bizarre, doesn't it? Do you know, if, if you were out and, um, well, you spotted two men who just started to follow you and you said, what do you want? And and they said, tell me where you live. You might be somewhat reluctant to pass on that information, wouldn't you? And yet, remember, context is really, really key here. And, and Jesus knows that these two men who have come to, following him, come to follow him, they've already been following John. They're one of his disciples, two of his disciples. So no doubt he's seen them standing with John earlier as he walked past him. And we'll see later that Jesus, as the Son of God, has no problem in discerning the identity of someone's heart. But from these two disciples, there's a response to the question, what do you seek? And I, I think we can actually see something about what they were about. Jesus says, what are you seeking? And they say, Jesus, where are you staying? And the reason I think they say that is because 
I think the response is to Jesus, Jesus, it's not that we just have a few theological questions that we need you to, to point us in the right direction to. We want to get to know you. We want to get to know you. We, we no longer have any other plans. Getting to know you is what we are going to give our lives to. Jesus, where are you staying? Whatever other plans we had for this evening, they are now gone. We want to get to know you. So how does Jesus respond? Well, verse 39, look with me. He says, come and you will see. (laughs) Come and you will see. So they came to where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. That's about 4 o'clock in the evening. I wanted to hear how Jesus responds. The disciples are saying, Jesus, we want to get to know you. And he says, come and you will see. Come and you will see. Over the last few months, we've been talking lots about inviting others to come and to join us here in church uh, as we work our way through John's gospel. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're here as a result of someone inviting you uh, to come and to join us as we look at who Jesus is through John's gospel. Thank you so much for being here. We're, we're really glad that you're here. Maybe you've been coming for a long time and it wasn't that someone invited you recently, but you're still here and you're still not a Christian. And maybe some of this stuff about who Jesus is is, is really intriguing you. You're thinking, but who is he really? Well, can I encourage you to hear the words that were said to those first two disciples? But those words that still ring out today, come and you will see. Come and you will see. Hear the invitation to keep reading through John's gospel. Because as you read through John's gospel, as we read through it together as a congregation, week after week after week, you will see more and more clearly who Jesus is. The Son of God the one through whom, if you believe in him, you will get a whole new life. Come and see is the message for all of us today. Come and see whether you're a a Christian for many, many years. Come and see Jesus more clearly. And if you're not a Christian, well then come and meet Jesus and see who he claims to be. Come and see. Just like it was for the disciples then, it's the same for us today. Come and see. And so these two disciples, well, they take Jesus up on the offer, and they went and they spent the rest of the day with him. I've got a couple of friends who are over in Orlando at the moment, um, and last weekend they put up a picture on Instagram. It's a picture of them beside Scott Swain, Legan Duncan, and Zach Cole. And if you know anything about Presbyterian theologians of the day, well then, you will know why that piqued my interest, okay? And the reason that they put up the picture was they got to enjoy Sunday lunch together. Now, I would have loved to have been in that uh, house around that dinner table. Lots of questions I would have loved to have posed to some brilliant theologians, but they didn't invite me, (laughs) so I didn't get to go. (laughs) But can you imagine... Can you imagine sitting around the dinner table with Jesus, you know? Jesus invites you back to his house and you get to spend the whole evening with him. I wonder what kind of questions you might pose. I wonder what answers you might like. Well, I don't know if you find this frustrating, but we're told that these two disciples, they spend the whole evening there and yet they give us zero details, don't they? Zero details. Look at, look at the text. We're told 
pretty much nothing about what they talked about. It's pretty frustrating, right? You want to know? I mean, they've just started to follow Jesus. They've taken the, the first few tentative steps in following Jesus. And what did they find out as they, as they went to spend time with this man who was the Lamb of God? Well, we're not told any details, are we? Barely any details at all, apart from the fact that we're told the time of day. And maybe you're thinking, that's not really what I wanted to know. Nothing about the conversation is there. And it's almost like the author is, is pulling us in further, isn't it? The author is pulling us in, wanting us to read ahead so that we find out more. He refuses to tell us what the conversation was. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Well, finally, at least we get an answer to maybe one of the other questions that we had. Who are these disciples? You've maybe been asking, which one of the disciples were it? Uh, were they? And, and now we have an answer, finally. And yet, I want you to look at the language. Just before we find out who the disciple is, look at the language that the author chooses to use in how he reveals it. Firstly, it's only one of the two that he chooses to reveal, and so... Why might he choose to do that? That's a good question to ask. Why does he only give us one identity rather than two? There were two disciples. And secondly, he attributes the fact that he is now following Jesus down to John's speaking, down to John's testimony, down to John's witness. John, now if you look back to verse 7, you maybe don't even need to look back to verse 7. Maybe you've been uh, learning it off as some of you are doing in your growth groups. But John came to bear witness, didn't he? John came to bear witness about the light so that all might believe through him. And here we see John doing his job, okay? John has been doing his job because one of these disciples is following. Why? Because of what John said. Jesus' first disciples come about because of the groundwork of John the Baptist. And it's only now that the author chooses to reveal his name. And his name is Andrew. <laughs> Andrew. And Andrew is introduced by, by reference to his much more famous brother, Simon Peter. Now, I've got an older sister, and uh, she says that people are forever asking her, are you Jeff's sister? And she thinks, no, I'm the older sister. He's my brother. <laughs> and she frustrates her, niggles on her, okay? And, and well, here's a strange thing, because... John's gospel has not mentioned Peter up until this point, okay? Peter has not been mentioned. Simon Peter has not been mentioned. And yet, here he is, and he's used to introduce us to his brother, to help us to understand who his brother is. Oh, it's Simon Peter's brother, Simon's brother. It seems, again, that, that John, as he writes this, the author, John, as he writes this gospel, assumes that we might already know who Simon Peter is. How might we know who Simon Peter is? Well, from the other Gospels or from the early church history. Simon Peter was pretty well known. If you've read any of the other Gospels, you will know quite a lot about Simon Peter. He was a key figure among the disciples. But I wonder if I was to ask you, what do you know about Andrew? I was give you a blank sheet. You would write down everything you know about Andrew. You know, Andrew the disciple. 
what would you tell me? Because Andrew the disciple only appears a handful of times by name. In fact, most of the times that he appears by name, it's, it's just as a list of alongside some other disciples. It doesn't really feature in many prominent roles. So I want you to hold that thought for a moment, okay? Because I want us also to notice that there's no mention of the identity of the other disciple. Well, at least we're not told explicitly the identity of the other disciple, but it's almost definitely the disciple John, okay? The author of this gospel. It's almost certainly him. Because did you pick up on the kind of details that's included? They're, they're, They're almost like little hints to say, this is actually me, okay? I can tell you the kind of details that only somebody who is there can tell. John looked at Jesus. Well, who would know that? Well, the disciple who was standing beside him. What time was it when these two disciples meet Jesus? Well, I I can tell you that. Why? Because I was one of them. That's what John said, isn't it? Little hints so that we can see that John is the one who is the other disciple who is in focus. Those are the sorts of details you can only include if you were actually there. So though the second disciple's identity is not explicitly revealed, I think we can be confident that it's John. John the disciple. And like John the Baptist, he is another humble John who seeks to stay out of the limelight and focuses attention on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that's why I think one of the reasons he, he, he kind of hides himself from the gospel. He's not saying, look at me, I'm John. No, 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 he's saying, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And, and yet there's something also about that, that style where he kind of hides himself, hides his identity that, that draws you in as the reader, doesn't it? Draws you in to keep reading the text so that we find out more and more of the story, and more and more of Jesus. But let's get back to Andrew because after the call of come and see, What does Andrew do? Well, he goes and tells, doesn't he? (laughs) When Andrew takes those first few steps and following Jesus and spends the evening with him, what's the very next thing that he does? The very first thing he does, he goes and he tells his brother Simon. And this is what he says to Simon. He says, we have found the Messiah. We'll find the Messiah. And we don't know what the conversation with Jesus was that night. But for Andrew, it confirmed that Jesus was none other than the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the one that they had been waiting on, the, the one who had been promised the whole way through the Old Testament. Now, how, do, how much did Andrew understand of it? Was he able to put it all together? Well, probably not. I mean, like any of us, whenever we begin, begin our walk in following Jesus, we have so little understanding and so little knowledge as to who Jesus actually is. But we know enough. We know enough to know that he is the son of God and that he is the one who is able to forgive us for our sin. And so we start to follow. We believe and we receive Jesus. And it's, as we start to follow, we, we get more and more of an understanding as to who he is. Because as a disciple, we're not supposed to just come to faith, uh, know know enough in order to come to faith, and then stop. No, no, no. That would just be absolutely bizarre. Whenever you read through the Bible, you are supposed to come to faith and then grow in your knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. That's what's supposed to happen. Andrew has just met Jesus. He hasn't got his degree in theology yet. 
And yet, what does he do? He goes straight away to find his brother and bring him to Jesus. He doesn't hang about till he's got a, a better, more, you know, better understanding of who Jesus is. No, he knows enough, and he goes and gets his friend, his brother, and brings him to Jesus. And it's beautiful, isn't it? Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. He doesn't keep the news to himself. Now he goes and gets his brother and he brings him to Jesus. As one writer puts it, he says, Andrew had discovered that the most common and effective Christian testimony is the private witness of a friend to a friend or a brother to a brother. Most people who come to faith, that's their story. It's not that they were just scrolling Facebook and seeing an advertisement. No, most people who come to faith, their story is, I had a friend who was a Christian. One of my family members was a Christian, and they brought me here. They brought me to church, or they, they pointed me to Jesus. They opened up the Bible and read it with me. Most people who come to faith are actually brought up in a Christian household. Their mom and their dad opened up the Bible with them and pointed them to Jesus the whole way through their lives. Why? Because their mom and dad knew that that was the most important thing to do, to introduce them to Jesus. I wonder, are you doing that today? I wonder, are you working hard to introduce people to Jesus? I mean, it's been really encouraging to see some new faces over the last um, few months as we've been looking at John's gospel together over the Christmas period. I know some of you have been uh, inviting people, maybe your, your mom or your dad or your brothers and your sisters, uh, family members, neighbors, work colleagues, friends. If you're here this morning for that reason, as we said earlier, we're, we're delighted that you're here. But that's the normative pattern that we see through John's gospel of how people are going to meet Jesus. People going and bringing others and setting them before Jesus. That's, that's the, normal, the normal pattern for discipleship. By bringing your friends and your family and those who don't know Jesus here to church, that seems like a pretty, a pretty good place to start. As we hear God's word read and then explained, seems like that would be a pretty normal place for God to work, to bring someone to faith. Asking someone to to read John's gospel with you, as you sit down and you read John's gospel and discuss it together, it would seem like that would be a pretty normal place for God to bring some of the faith, wouldn't it? Someone going and bringing their brother, someone going and bringing their friend, that's the normal pattern that we see of discipleship right throughout John's gospel and the Bible at large. But it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge for me, it's a challenge for you. And it's a challenge because sometimes we don't want to share about Jesus. And sometimes the reason that we don't want to do it is because we're nervous of what we, of what we risk. We might risk a friendship. We might risk a relationship. We might risk things in family being a bit awkward. And so it can stop us from speaking about Jesus, can't it? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's just laziness. I wonder, are we, like Andrew, going to 
go and invite someone to meet Jesus. Let's pray that God would work in our hearts to help us to see just how important this is. Because what we're talking about here is it's not something that has no real lasting value, no. What we're talking about when we're talking about evangelism and telling others about Jesus, inviting someone to meet Jesus, we're talking about bringing someone who one day is going to stand before the Creator, and they are going to be responsible, morally held to account for their actions before a holy God. And if they are not in Christ, well, then the reality is that they are going to experience God's eternal wrath. This is no light thing to think, ah, this is fine, we'll, we'll leave it to a future date. Now, this is a weary, weary matter. Andrew's come to see Jesus, and then he goes and tells. He goes and says, come and meet Jesus. Now, remember, what else do we know about Andrew? What else did you know? Very little. <laughs> Very little about Andrew. We, maybe, maybe you're thinking, well, I, I know more than you think, Jeff. That, maybe you do, okay? Maybe you know that Andrew was the one who was able to say, there's, there's one little boy who has five loaves and two fish. Maybe you knew that. Maybe you knew that there's a, a question that he asked Jesus at some point in the Gospels. Maybe you knew that. But apart from that, that's about it, okay? That's all we really told about Andrew. But he certainly wasn't one of the big-name disciples. It wasn't Simon Peter, you know? And yet, if Andrew had not went out, if Andrew had not got his brother, Simon Peter would not have come to Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Here's Andrew, basically unknown, and yet he is such a key, key, key part of the chain as he goes and brings his brother to Jesus. Doesn't that encourage you to go and tell? Doesn't that encourage you? You might never be in the famous world stage in terms of your Christian faith. You might never feature in that list of theologians that people want to gather around the table to ask them loads of questions. And that's okay, right? God's the one who decides that. But God might choose to use you as one who brings their friend to Jesus. God might choose to use you as a link in the chain. That if someone looks back and says, well, there was a conversation one day with that person and, and then someone else, they, they invited me to Christianity Explored and, and then as a follow-up, somebody else invited me to come and sit with them in church and, and then I, I had that conversation as I came back to their house after for lunch and do you know, <laughs> that could be you. Just doesn't it encourage us to, to go and to tell others about Jesus? We're almost at the end. How does this section finish? Well, we're told that Jesus looks at, at Simon and says, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, in one sense, maybe there's some of this that doesn't really surprise you. You might think to yourself, well, son of John, you know, it's probably come up with a conversation, you know, with his brother that night that we don't know what they discussed. Maybe they discussed, who's your parents? Do you have any brothers and sisters? And so this maybe doesn't seem overly remarkable. But what comes next really does, because we see something of a revelation into who Jesus actually is. We see something into a revelation of Jesus's divine knowledge, because Jesus says, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. 
Now, names in the Bible are, are really important. Often they convey great meaning. And, and so a change of name is especially important, especially if God's the one who brings about the change of name, okay? That's really, really significant. Think about it in, in the life of Abraham, that, that change of name from Abraham to Abraham. We've been thinking about that in the evening series. The name changed, the exalted father to the father of a great multitude. That's a really significant name change if we understand what's happening behind it. And, and here is a really significant name change. Because here Jesus is saying, Simon, you will be called Peter. Now, what does Peter mean? Peter means rock. And if you know anything about Peter, well, you may well know that later on in, in Matthew's gospel, um, you, you, you read Jesus saying to Peter that he is the rock on which he would build his church. Peter was one of the apostles on whom the church was going to be built. Now, this is his first interaction with Jesus, and yet Jesus, in this very first interaction, tells him, this is who you're going to be. Jesus tells him his future. And so I think as we, as we look at this little section, it tells us more about Jesus than it does actually about Peter. I think what we're supposed to see is that Jesus knows the end from the beginning. I think we're supposed to see that Jesus is the one who really calls and equips his disciples to be the men and the women that he calls and equips them to be. And here I think we're supposed to see that Jesus is not just fully man, but Jesus is fully God. He is God became flesh. And so it's no surprise that as we end this section, John the author is once again pointing to Jesus. Jesus as the Son of God. And in a sense, he's, he's calling us, he's inviting us, he's saying, come and see. Come and see. Come and get to know Jesus for yourself. If you're here and you're not a Christian, well then, can I encourage you, get into John's Gospel, read it from start to finish, come and see Jesus, come back here Sunday after Sunday, set yourself here and, and sit under the preaching and teaching about Jesus. Come and see, get to know him. And then go and tell. Once you have met Jesus, once you know that Jesus is the Son of God, once you've given your life to follow Jesus, go and tell people about Jesus so that they might come to know him, so that they might believe and receive him, and so that they might then too be able to go and tell others about him. Let's pray. Lord, we need to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus before we've got anything to share. We need to see who he is because it is so, so key. Without seeing who Jesus is, we have no hope of having our sins forgiven. Father, might you open our eyes so that we might see clearly who Jesus is. And Lord, once we've seen who Jesus is, might you... Enable us to be bold in telling others about him. Might we be bold in inviting others to meet Jesus. Lord, as we come to see, enable us to go and tell. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.